Section 17, Eyes on Competition, Architecture, and Left Field. Apple Macintosh had one extremely good text capability. Why couldn't Windows? Bill Gates. Unsure of exactly how to interact with Bill or what to do at all, I got some insights about a week after the offsite as I was summoned to his office. Holding a Microsoft-supplied Stenopad like I was going to take shorthand, I headed through the glass door to Bill's office where he had our first discussion of expectations and process. He suggested I look at the schedule and be sure to attend review meetings, which sounded easy enough. He told me he didn't need notes summarizing the meetings, as I had sent him a few times previously, but he told me I should be on the lookout for any interesting follow-up items. He also did not seem interested in being briefed before the meeting, which seemed fine to me. But later in life, I would come to appreciate that this was unique to Bill because he was able to dive into any topic. Rather than briefs, I would develop a process of sending notes on what I had learned about the broader concepts prior to meetings. Bill then rattled off a list of topics that were top of mind. Text strategy and code reuse, forms, indexing, image editing, multimedia authoring, Microsoft Research, Lotus Notes, architecture, and more. Bill seemed to think in two dimensions. First, everything was always a list. The list of technologies was consistent over time and rarely did something fall off the list. Instead, something was either making progress or something was in a bad state. Usually these technology lists had a single team in mind that owned or should own each item, or worse, there were several teams with competing and suboptimal implementations. The lists were two columns, the problem area in one and the people or teams in the other. Second, calendars. Everything was always viewed through a time dimension. Bill would routinely sketch out a calendar with a black felt-tip pen and an ever-present legal pad. This would map out over the next weeks of meetings or next months of milestones relative to that list of technologies or perhaps speeches or travel. While Bill was always keenly aware of his time, he often ran late or over in meetings. That would change later in life. We did not have a fancy Microsoft Exchange schedule back then with delegate access or anything. In fact, there was no personal schedule plus calendar for Bill at all, the Microsoft product we used at the time. Everything was kept in Julie G's Schedule Plus to avoid moving things around or removing appointments accidentally by Bill. The real source of truth was an old-fashioned, large-format appointment calendar, like the kind you see at beauty salons, where appointments were written in pencil and the pages were archived at the end of the week. If I ever really needed to know what was going on, that calendar was where I looked. It quickly became clear that redundancy and inefficiency in code and the use of scarce developer resources was top of mind at that time. Bill was always worried about redundancy across groups, and while this was inefficient in headcount, more worrisome was the inefficiency in code and thus memory. Everything always came back to memory because Bill G squeezed BASIC into 4K over the weekend as he would remind people still. Redundancy also created a suboptimal user experience because no single group devoted the resources to do an excellent job on one code base, and every group just built a random, Bill G word, subset that was just enough for them. Something like text editing drove him crazy. Everywhere in Windows apps, people were building little mini text editors with varying levels of capabilities. Some supported basic formatting like bold and italics. Some others might support Japanese characters, but not right-to-left languages. Others might support editing, but did not have good support for copy-paste across apps, or so on. Several of the topics on that list were places where this inefficiency existed, and it was super annoying, another Bill G phrase, that no group or Windows was solving the problem. Which meant that we needed a group that was hardcore, Bill G phrase, focused on text editing. 
Apple Macintosh had one extremely good text capability. Why couldn't Windows? A note to reader, Office eventually solved this problem with something called Rich Edit, leveraging the incredible typography and typing from Word. But it ended up being too late for the internet, so now we're all using the editing and rendering capabilities of HTML, which are still trying to catch up. Text editing, forms, graphics, storage, and more were all places where, from Bill's vantage point, most everyone was building incomplete subsets of what should be much bolder and more reusable offerings from Microsoft and Windows. A constant tension existed between groups trying to keep up with cross-group synergy. Love that word. While being given the latitude to determine their own destiny and a strong desire for a highly leveraged, efficient, and centrally executed plan. Bill G meetings are a place where the downsides of empowered execution would constantly bump up against the perceived benefits of coordinated and centralized strategies. There were always more ideas on ways to leverage grand architectural plans than there were practical ways to implement them. What I came to realize over time was that Bill G was not using these meetings to confirm or affirm the direction of a team, but rather to push them to do more or to do better. While teams would view successful meetings as one that did not get redirected, there was rarely praise that matched the confrontation. Unlike leadership and CEO books or what might get taught in business school, Bill was not asking to look at metrics or hear a presentation on the validation of strategic goals. He was also not there to provide emotional support to the team, at least not yet. He had three tools and he used them. Competition, architecture, and what always seemed to be some wild card or white space. First, How did the product shape up against the main competitor? Every product had a main competitor, and Bill was very, very competitive. One of the oldest traditions at the company was the Microgames, an annual summer party up at Hood Canal where teams would compete in a summer camp sort of environment. It was not unheard of for Bill to seek, let's just say, an advantage for himself. He also assumed competitors would flawlessly execute. And any attempt by a team to claim otherwise was a tactical error in the meeting. Regardless of having a plan to compete or not, failing to know the competition inside and out meant a team was going, meeting was going to go poorly. Bill was a voracious reader of all the trade press and product reviews, and when he wanted to make a point, he would take them at face value and not let groups debunk the claims or test results. Every weekend, he read The Economist, which was sent to his house via some VIP subscription. Monday, he would devour PC Week and InfoWorld. Every day, he read The Wall Street Journal and New York Times. And every month, he read Byte and PC Magazine, which at the time were each the size of a fall Vogue magazine. Product groups that would attempt to point out that a given review gave a competitor too much credit or were too harsh on Microsoft would find themselves in a debate as though they were talking to the reviewer or an executive from the competing company. In meetings, Bill would often be provocative to the point of overstating the strength or capabilities of a competitive product. He would exaggerate the performance of a competitor or even claim a product was faster or easier to use, sometimes without any personal knowledge. After a while, it became easy to tell when he was doing that because I knew if he'd used the product, but also because he had a bit of a tell in the meetings, often looking at me as if to seek validation. I made it a point of being able to amplify these points from personal experience of some kind unless the meeting was not going well. And then I would use up some of my own credibility or competitive experience to bring the meeting back into focus and off the defensive. Second, and this was a moving target, but how architecturally sound was the product? Was there strategic code reuse? Where did the product make use of native Windows features versus rolling its own implementations? Where did a product have a proprietary advantage? 
How is the product extensible by developers or customizable by end users? How is the product redundant at a deep technical level or overlapping with another product? Third, assuming that a product had answers or at least credible discussions for the previous two, Bill always maintained the option to bring up something that seemed from out of left field. But in practice, this was his way of making the team think about its product in an entirely different context. The most common way of doing this was to point to a product group at another team, usually somewhere in Windows or Microsoft Research, that was doing something Bill viewed as more innovative or had a broader vision or could be connected in a way that the whole was greater than the sum of the parts. Bill thought a great deal about white space or new opportunities that were important or critical and fell between different teams rather than completely within one team. Perhaps it was dealing with IBM all those years, Bill clearly understood the best way to compete with any company is to build products that fall between two teams or two executives. In a big company, both teams will usually fight to claim a competitor is in their sights, but rarely will they execute directly. Then, when the company is losing, the organizations will turn around and say, well, they never intended to compete directly. Some companies were deliberate in hedging bets and having multiple competitors in labs, so to speak. To Bill, this was inefficient and wasteful. He wanted the best group owning and competing, which sounded great. At the time, however, he wanted all the necessary other groups to contribute to a new competitive offering. That, as we shall see, was always where Microsoft ended up underperforming relative to a focused competitor with only a single organization. The real reason discussions about unseen opportunities were always the most difficult was that a team was working on the area, or more likely that some team was doing a little bit in the area, but they did not have a big enough view of the opportunity or they were thinking too tactically to really get ahead. Most of the frustration that would emerge from product meetings would be rooted in the misalignment between what appeared strategic to Bill, but meant an overwhelming amount of work and collaboration to a product team for a small win, or on some timescale, this would all take place that was way too long. I figured I quickly found myself getting into the rhythm of these things. As one might expect, not being on the receiving end was far more enjoyable than having to put up tens of hours of preparation and showing up hoping for the best. I essentially bucketed groups into three categories. There were groups that were executing and had a good story. Fortunately, these were the big groups. It wasn't like the meetings were happy time, but by and large, the meetings would go as expected. Whether it was the NT team doing what would show up with performance numbers needing work, or the office team needing to be easier to use and reduce overlap, the conversations were tense, but not crazy. Whether the group was executing or not looked different back then. Everything was late, so a group that was executing well was simply late, but not out of control. Most of the time, the dates were not even the subject of the meeting, and for many projects, it could be said it wasn't even clear what the target dates meant or how reliable any dates were. Generally speaking, just getting to the next milestone, a beta test usually, was all that mattered. As much as it hurts to say, these groups didn't need Bill's help. That is difficult to say. It is, however, an incredible achievement that the most important products, still very early in their life cycle, were already staffed with leaders and executing in an autonomous way. Second, there were groups that were executing, but their story was not compelling or did not appear to be achieving any sort of escape velocity, so to speak. Many groups are capable of shipping, but the problem was that shipping was not going to add up to much in terms of a competitive win or substantial revenue. These meetings in many ways were difficult. Many were products that were started, often by Bill G. personally, with the best intentions, 
but somehow ended up being less interesting as they closed in on becoming a full product. Perhaps the area of consumer software meetings, rooted in the innovative work of CD-ROM titles, was most like this. At one point, there were dozens of new titles, we called them, for the holiday season, each with wonderfully rich photographs and text, unlike anything ever seen on a PC, covering topics such as the pioneering Encarta Encyclopedia, dogs, cats, musical instruments, Isaac Asimov's The Ultimate Robot, and the much-loved Cinemania, like today's IMDb. The challenge with these groups was that the meetings would inevitably focus on that framework of competition, architecture, and white space. Those are where Bill was most effective, but not really where the problems were with those products. Third, the groups that were not executing well, but had wonderful stories to tell. This, as it would turn out, was where I would spend most of my time and where Bill was spending most of his time. The challenge for me was how to be constructive, how to encourage more execution while not being the one to take away from or deflate the story. There were so many of these projects that I might even say that the early 1990s were a time when Microsoft had far more great stories than it had great execution. In many ways, this was the expansive vision Bill had for the company with all cylinders firing. The next year or so, I would spend trying to do my part to help Bill help more teams get from their fantastic stories and lack of execution to a bit more focus on execution. Perhaps what I ended up learning more than anything was just how much the initial seeding and DNA of a group ended up defining the outcome. I was still getting my rhythm with Bill and earning his trust. I had to figure out how to have a high bandwidth relationship with him and just wasn't there yet. I needed to ramp up more quickly as there were some of the biggest projects in the company underway and these would prove to be the foundation for everything to come over the next decades.